Good morning. So good to see all of you here today. I am Barry Owen. I am the discipleship pastor here at Lawndale. One of my many jobs to do is to connect people to God and then connect them to our church. I oversee our life journey groups, our D groups, our new members class, uh, just a way to connect people to God and connect them to a class. And I've been given the wonderful opportunity to preach today. Uh, Rodney uh, asked me to preach for him on this Sunday because he is at his uh, granddaughter's baptism and celebrating that. And uh, obviously, we want him to be there. You notice when I read when I read the Bible, I um, I find myself wanting more details. I'm wanting our Lord to be a little bit more specific. Anybody else uh, that way? We, we, there's a lot of things we say, man. I wish he'd just give us more details. It kind of reminds me of the time my brother and I were, were driving through Florida, and we were on a trip, and we were driving through this uh, town, and as only brothers can do, uh, we started arguing about how do you pronounce the town that we're going through. And so I, I said to my brother, I, I said, I think this is pronounced Kissimmee, Florida. He said, no, no, little brother, it's Kissimmee. I said, no, I think you pronounce it Kissimmee. He said, no. So we got to arguing back and forth, and it got so heated, I decided, I said, well, look, why don't we just pull into one of these restaurants, and we'll just go in, and we'll ask the locals here, how do you pronounce it? He said, sounds like a great idea to me. So sure enough, we pull into a restaurant, we go in, and a lovely young lady at the counter and I said, ma'am, my brother and I, we're, we're driving through your town here, and we're, we're having an argument about where we are. I said, can you tell my brother, and I said, I said, say it real slow so he will understand where we are. My girl said, I would love to. She leans over the counter and she says, Hardee's. I got I to gotta be more specific. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to John chapter 12. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 19. And let us stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure lard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. 
The next day, the large crowds that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it had been written. Fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone out after him. You may be seated. The triumphant entry is one that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the crucifixion. You see, the story of the triumphant entry is one of the few incidences in the life of Jesus which appears in all four Gospels. So putting these four accounts together, it becomes very clear that the triumphant entry was a significant event, not only to the people of Jesus' day, but to Christians throughout history. We celebrate Palm Sunday to remember this momentous occasion. But as we read this passage of Scripture this morning, we find that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. So we have to ask the question, why is he going to Jerusalem? Well, Jesus is going to the cross. What you may or may not know is that Jesus did not talk about the cross until his disciples had come to know him as the Christ. Matthew 16, 13 through 18, in the New American Standard Version, here's what it says. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 21, from that time, stop right there, that time that what? That he, that they believed that he was the Son of God. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. We had this discussion recently in our D group. We said, man, how often have we read in the four gospels the many times that Jesus said these words to his disciples? I must go to Jerusalem. The son of man is going to suffer many things. He is going to be killed. And for some reason, that never registered with the disciples. Never. And then we read why that is. It's found in Luke chapter 18, verse 34. But they, the disciples, 
understood none of these things. Why did they never understand it? Well, here's, here's why. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he said. Now, you and I understand that. We grew up with parents, and our parents would say things to us that we didn't grasp. We didn't understand. My dad had a lot of sayings to me that I went, what in the world is he talking about? Like the one where he says, uh, Barry, if you can't learn, you can feel. What in the world is he talking about? <laughs> or like the time after he, he gave me a whipping, he would say to me, and I think this was to ease his conscience, he would say, uh, Barry, you, you don't understand this now, but this hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. Anybody, get, your parents said the same thing. Now, now, if I hadn't been afraid of my dad, I would have said, well, let's trade places. Let me whip you a while. As, <laughs> but I wanted to live, and I, I wanted to be here today. Well, we don't understand this. The, the disciples couldn't understand. Well, this is why. This is why. God, Jesus, hid that saying from them. They didn't get it. Until what? Until after the resurrection. You see, in this passage, we find several things going on. We find, first of all, that there's the most remarkable miracle takes place in John 12, 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. Not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. This is one of the most uh, profound e events, miraculous things that were, that were happening in, the, in that day. Because it was a known fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days. Wasn't any questions about it. I mean, they had had the funeral. They had, they had put the stone in front of the, 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 the grave. They, they, were, they were grieving. Family members coming by, and then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This miracle was, was not just a small thing. In fact, it was the talk of the town. Everyone was talking about it. Multitudes of people came out to, to Jerusalem, to Bethany, which was about two miles away. They wanted to see for themselves Lazarus. Many witnesses saw this miracle take place. And because of this miracle taking place, they knew, and they had just knew, because of this miracle, Jesus was the Messiah. But you also find in this passage a second thing that's going on. You see, when God is at work, so is the devil. You just mark it down. Verses 10, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. You see, the devil's greatest work in your life and mine is to keep us from God's work. And God's, and God's word. You see, I, I try to tell men this all the time in our small groups, that if you ever want to grow your faith, you got you to get into the Word. You got to be in a place where you're hearing the Word. 
Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you want to grow your faith, you got to grow in the word. You got to put yourself in a position. See, Matthew 13, 19 tells us what, what's going on when the word, when we hear the word. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, why do they not understand it? The evil one comes and snatches away what was just sown into their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. You see, when you, when you hear the word and you don't do anything with it, the devil is more than happy to take what was just preached to you and to snatch it away. The thing that you, want, that you have to do with the Bible is apply it to your life. You see, some things don't work unless they have been obeyed. Some things don't work until they are, they, that you put them into practice. Now try to imagine, though, this morning, the kind of heart that it takes for someone to possess in order to kill someone. Chew on that for a second. Try to imagine the kind of heart that it takes for someone to kill someone because they believe in someone. You see, the chief priests are so evil that they want to kill Lazarus. And what was Lazarus' crime? He believed in Jesus. Now, who were these chief priests? Well, Matthew 2, 4 says, they were expected to pronounce on matters of Jewish law and interpretation of Scripture. Matthew 21, uh, 15, temple discipline was their responsibility. Number three, the chief priests were in charge of temple worship in Jerusalem. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The chief priests were the religious people of the day. The devil is still using religious people to do evil work. You see, these were the same priests who made the temple a place of profit versus a place of worship. In fact, Jesus cleared the room in, in, in Mark eleven 17. I'll read that verse in a, in a moment. But Jesus cleared the room of these profit makers because they were making his house a place of profit versus a place of worship. And why did they hate Jesus so much? Because he called them out. You see, evil people don't like to be called out. And when God is at work, so is the devil. And there are many people that I know over my 30 years of ministry who have been hurt by the chief priest. My wife and I worked for a couple of those chief priests. When it's all about profit and it's all about numbers and it's all about budget and it's all about building, let me ask you a question this morning. Where's the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, I can't do anything in my own flesh. It has to be the power of God reigning and working through our lives. And so many people today have been hurt so much so that they don't even go to church. And can I say something to you this morning? I am so sorry that that's happened to you. I'm so sorry that you were hurt by those who were religious. You see, the church was never intended to be a place of hurt, but it has been for so many people. Church should be a place of help. The church should be a place of hope. 
The church should be a place of healing. It should be a place where you pick people up versus putting them down. We're supposed to be taking sick people and making them hold. One of the most powerful stories of restoration was a story by Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala is a pastor of a multiracial megachurch in Brooklyn, New York. It's called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He became the pastor there in 1971, and when he began the tabernacle, the church members numbered less than 30. As of 2012, the church members are over 16,000. The church isn't located in a great location. In fact, it's one of the worst. Worst in town, homelessness, drug addicts, prostitution. You get the picture. But he tells a story that I have shared many times about Easter. He said, it was Easter Sunday. I was so tired at the end of the day. I just went over to the edge of the platform I pulled down my tie and I sat down and I draped my feet over the edge. It was a wonderful service with many people coming forward. The counselors were talking with these people. And as I was, as I was sitting there, I looked up in the middle aisle and there in about the third row was a man who looked about 50. He was disheveled. He was, he was filthy. He looked up at me rather sheepishly and as if to say, could I talk to you? He says, we have homeless people coming in all the time, asking for money or whatever. He says, so I sat there and I said to myself, though I'm ashamed to admit it, man, what a way to end the Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here's a fellow probably just wanting some money for, for more wine. He walked up to me. He got within about five feet of me, and I smelled the most horrible smell that I've ever smelled in my life. He said it was so awful when he got close, I literally would have to turn my head and inhale and then talk to him and then turn my head and inhale and then talk to him again. I asked him, I said, what's your name? He said, David. How long you been on the street, David? Six years. How old are you? 32. I'm not kidding. He looked 50. His hair was matted. His front tooth, teeth were missing. His eyes were glazed. He was a wino. Where'd you sleep last night, David? Abandoned truck. Pastor Jim says, I keep in my back pocket a money clip, holds credit cards and cash, and I reached in and fumbled through my dollar bills and said to myself, I'll just give him some money. I won't even get one of the volunteers. They're, they're too busy. He says, usually we don't give money to people, but we usually take them to get something to eat. But I, but I took the money out. And David pushed his finger in front of me and said to Pastor Jim, I, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus that you're talking about. 
Because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die on these streets. Pastor Jim wrote these words. I completely forgot about David. And I started to weep for myself. I was going to give a couple of dollars to someone that God had sent to me. You see how easy it is? I can make the excuse that I was tired, but there was no excuse. I was not seeing him the way that God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels. But oh, did that change. So David is standing in front of me. And he didn't know what was happening to me, but I was pleading with God on the inside. And I started praying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. I am so sorry to represent you this way. I am so sorry. Here I am with my message and here I am with my points. And you send someone to me like David and I am not ready. And then something came over me. And I started to weep deeper. And David began to weep. And David fell on my chest. He fell against my white shirt and my tie. I put my arms around him and then we wept together. And then he said, the smell of his person became a beautiful aroma. And I heard God say to me in that moment, if you don't love this smell, I can't use you. Did you hear that? If you don't love this smell, I can't use you. David gave his life to Christ that day. He got baptized. They gave him a job in the church. They fixed his teeth. And God began to restore his life. You can't tell stories like that unless the power of God comes into your life and you minister through the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, David is a pastor of a church. You can't make this stuff up. He was going to die on the streets, but God's grace said otherwise. You see, in this passage, you find an unrealistic expectation of the people. John 12, verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, thousands of people had lined the streets. They were expecting a Messiah. That Messiah was to come. They expected him, though, to be a temporal prince. One who would make war upon the Romans and restore to the Jews their lost nationality. There were many who, though they did not believe in Christ with a spiritual faith, nevertheless hoped that he might be to them a great deliverer. In fact, we read on two occasions where they wanted to make Jesus a king. In fact, the Bible says that he intentionally hid himself because they wanted to make him king. What we also find in this passage, we find a crowd. What do we find a crowd doing? We find a crowd who is cheering and then jeering. 
Look at what Mark eleven seventeen says. On that day, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey colt, one that had never been ridden before. And the disciples spread their cloaks on the donkey for Jesus to sit on. And the multitudes came out to welcome him, laying before him their cloaks and their branches of palm trees. The people hailed and praised him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord. As he rode to the temple where he taught the people, he healed them. And then it takes a drastic turn of events. He's teaching the people. He's healing the people. And then he does what? He drives out the money changers and the merchants who had made his father's house a den of robbers. Now, why is that so important? Scholars believe that when Jesus took those tables and turned them over, there were probably a million dollars of transactions on those tables that Jesus just completely destroyed. Not only did he destroy their money making, he drove them out of the temple. He, he, made, he made a statement. Jesus' purpose in riding to Jerusalem was to make public his claim that he was the Messiah, the King of Israel. He was fulfilling what was called the Old Testament prophecy. See, when Jesus rode, rode into Jerusalem, Matthew says the king is coming on the foal of a donkey. It was the exact fulfillment of Zechariah verses 9 and 9. What does it say? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus rides into the capital city as a conquering king, and he is hailed as the people See him. The streets of Jerusalem, the royal city, are open to him, and he, like a king, ascends to the palace. Not a temporal palace, but a spiritual place that is the temple. He goes public with his message. He was their Messiah. If there's any encouragement I can give you today as a disciple of Jesus, is to go public with your faith. I, I've, been a, I've been a student of the word for a long time. And as I read the Bible, here's what I believe is happening and what does happen in the last days. I, thought, I think years ago, it was more, I would say easier to ride the fence. A lot of lukewarmness. A lot of double life. In fact, when I was a student pastor, that was probably the most difficult thing that I had to deal with as a student pastor was, was students who lived a double life. I find it's not just students, though. It's adults. We don't live the authentic Christian life, and we don't go public with our faith. And so what I would say to you today is you have to go public because the Bible is a Bible, is a, is, is a revelation. It's telling us what is happening in the last days. And listen, if you don't believe that we're in the last days, you haven't read your Bible. And this is what I believe happens in the last days, is that, that God uses the last days as a dividing rod. And he is dividing us. 
And that you will see clearly in the last days those who belong to him and those who do not. We think all this about the church with COVID has been about a disease. I'm going to tell you, sin is a worse disease than COVID. And it shouldn't be that something like that should, should make the people run from the church, but they should be running to the church. But no longer does Jesus tell his disciples to, to be quiet about him. Have you noticed that? As you read the Bible, he would tell certain people, no, don't, don't go make this public. Go home. Tell your family and friends. <laughs> but now he tells his disciples to go public. Don't be quiet anymore. Worship him openly. You see, the spreading of cloaks was an act of homage to, to royalty. So, so there's people who were taking off their outer garments and laying them down as he was riding through Jerusalem and they were praising and singing. And I'm sure somebody got out, got out a, uh, a tambourine and I'm sure several of them, many of them were dancing. Can you believe that? And we say Baptists don't dance. They do. They were dancing, they were praising, they were singing. He was Messiah. This was a, a, a huge event in the life of Christ. And Jesus was going public. He was their Messiah. But isn't it sad? When, when cheers become jeers, the same people who were praising him, who were laying their garments down, just a few days later, are yelling, crucify him, crucify him. You see, what we got to remember is that so many people have tried the Christian thing. I've heard that. Oh, uh, listen, we hear it all the time. Oh, I, I, tried, I tried the church. I tried, you know, doing what was right. I tried that and, and you know, it didn't work for me. Well, friend, it doesn't work when you try something. It does work when you try someone. Jesus is not something you try. Jesus is someone you trust. That's the problem. You have to, you have to get to a place where you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the story of the triumphant entry is the story of a king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not a prancing steed, not in royal robes, but on the clothes of the poor and the humble. Jesus Christ came not to conquer by force as earthly kings, but by love, grace, mercy, and his own sacrifice for his people. He is not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. And lastly, he conquers not nations, but hearts and minds. I stand before you today, someone who is a living testimony of the grace and mercy of God. I know what he means when he says he has changed my heart and he has changed my mind. And as a follower, we should exhibit those same qualities so that the world sees in us a living Christ 
Someone who makes a difference in our life. If you're here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You've never put your trust in the King, in the Messiah. I want to encourage you to think about that and do that today. Let us pray. And God, we thank you today for your word. It tells us of a triumphant entry, a triumphant king, one who never, ever will leave us. You were going to the cross. People didn't understand who you were. They wanted to make you into something that you were not destined for. You were destined for a cross. It would be a place of humility. It would be a horrible death. It would be a pain so unimaginable. We can't even grasp how much pain that you endured for us. Because you want us to have an eternal home. One that will never, ever end. And for that, we are always and forever will be grateful. Because you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And I pray, God, if if you're working in the hearts and lives of people here today, may they come to this altar to find a place of prayer, to find a place of hope, as our pastors are here to welcome them, to pray with them, to encourage them. Help us always be mindful that we are a church that is trying to lift people up through the power of the Holy Spirit.